They've watched Citizen Kane a combined 200 times. Elliot's first words were, I personally thought the use of Dutch angles was derivative in the 400 blows. And Nathan's favorite historical figure is Fritz Lang. Now they're bringing that snootiness to you with Magellan's at the Movies. I'll have to cut that out. Everyone wants to hear me do my Marge Simpson impression. That was supposed to be Marge? Yeah. That didn't sound any Marge! Okay, okay that, was there. that was a little better. Uh, anyway, welcome to another episode of Magellan's of the Movies. If you listened to our last episode, we mentioned that we were excited for a film that was coming out. We have since seen that film. That film is Gareth Edwards, The Creator which is not the subject of this review, but I just want to say I saw it. I loved it. You should definitely go see it. Go support cinema. I also went with a friend of mine who also liked it, and they are not as big of a movie fan. So if you're sitting out there and you're not, you don't know your Kubricks from your Hitchcocks, you can go and still have a, a good time at this film. What does it take for someone to know Kubrick from Hitchcock? They're two completely different names. I know, but like watching a movie, if you couldn't go like, oh yeah, this is a Kubrick film. Or, oh yeah, this is a Hitchcock movie. I'm not sure I could do that. Yeah, I think you could. Well, it doesn't matter. I was less impressed, to be honest. I saw this alone, so maybe that, <laughs> maybe that affected things. <laughs> but uh, I thought that there was a lot of wasted potential in this idea. I thought that the movie played things very safe, too safe by half, but... I want to contextualize that by saying it's also an original movie. It's very ambitious. It's trying to do a lot of things, and I still hope it succeeds. I still think that people should go out and support it for the reasons that Nathan stated. Uh, if you want more in-depth thoughts, I did write a review of this for the blog, so yep. go ahead and hit that up. Yeah, go check out the Magellan's at the Movies blog. Magellan's at the Movies at the blog, which is not its real name. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> Uh, another movie news, the strike, the writer's strike, at yes. least, did end. So that's very did you exciting. Hear writing. The woman who's the president of the Actors Union in a speech, she compared their efforts, I think, to, I didn't hear this directly, I heard this secondhand, but she compared their efforts to the toppling of the Bastille, which kicked off the French Revolution. Wow. Well, let's hope that doesn't happen. Well, let's hope these follow different uh, trajectories. Yeah. As much as I don't care for studio execs, I would not see them guillotined. I think that's pretty much it in terms of movie news. And well, movie we're news. fast approaching uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah. I just recently saw a featurette on it in, uh, for it on YouTube that I thought was interesting, talking about... Martin Scorsese's approach and his why he wanted to tell this story seems like uh, I'm excited for this one. This this one's gonna be this one's gonna be good. I'm really excited for this too. I I read the book. I think I've mentioned this before. The book is amazing. If you haven't read the book and you're looking for a book to read, The Killers of the Flower Moon or The Birth of the FBI, I think it's the title of the book. 
is a fantastic nonfiction look at a very very interesting story. Yeah. Did they have a trailer for Killers of the Flower Moon in front of create the creator for you? They did. Okay. They did for me too. It was sick. it was one of the it was one of the like most recent ones. Yeah, it was the newest one with lots of vocalization. Yes, and more Lily Gladstone than the other trailers. Yeah, she there. This is stupid and completely irrelevant, but I just find little moments of acting like this to be the hardest to get right. Like when he said, the moment I'm thinking of is when she says something in her native language and Leonardo DiCaprio says like, I don't know what that means, but it must be must mean like handsome devil. And she just does this like perfect girlish, impressed, you know, titter laugh. Yeah. That it's little things like that are just really hard to get down, really hard to nail, but she nailed it. So yeah. she's supposed to be amazing in the movie. It's supposed to be a, a real breakout role. But mm-hmm. anyway, let's let's dive into the movie that we're covering today here on this episode. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a fun film. I think the word that comes to mind when I think of this movie is probably fun, I'd say. So, Elliot, you picked it. Why don't you give us a little introduction here? this picture well like our candles here this movie follows someone dying or something dying oh good grief um this is 20 shoot 2021 2020 really came out covid year oh all right then 2020 movie based on a play uh it's adapted from a play Okay, I always, I need to find a better way to, like, organize my thoughts. Florian Zeller wrote and directed this play, and then he adapted it. He also wrote and directed this movie. So this is a direct adaptation of his play. And it follows the downward trend of a man with dementia. Uh, we see the movie through his perspective. So we're seeing things as someone with dementia might see them. So he is very confused. He's sort of lost his ability to process time in a linear fashion. He is kind of like fading in and out of not necessarily lucidity, but of awareness of what's happening around him. So there's a lot of trippy moments where people will change appearance or they will change what they're saying they're doing or what is happening. Uh, Or the apartment, the flat, as they call it in Britain, the flat itself is changing layout and decoration and stuff like that. Anthony Hopkins in the leading role, complemented very well by Olivia Coleman in the like secondary leading role. It's a very small cast. It is based on a play, and it's one of those play-based movies that you feel it's yeah. based on a play because there's not a lot of locations, pretty small cast. But uh yeah, I'm just oh, the the candle has now died. <laughs> Rest in peace. I just want to say that this movie is what those of us, people like Nathan and I, who run in critic circles, this mo- we call we refer to this kind of movie as really, really good. This is a this is a fantastic movie right here. It is ruthlessly depressing, but it is a an honest to goodness work of art. I I think that's my opening thoughts. Nathan has a strained expression on his face. I'm assuming that means he's feeling very constipated and he's not going to contradict me on this. So Nathan, why don't you affirm what I've told you and then we can take a break and uh, you can use the facilities. Funny. Yeah, this is 2020 movie. It was nominated for a whole mess of awards, including Best Picture. And I was actually just talking to a friend of mine this weekend about 
how poorly I think the Nomadland Best Picture win has aged. <laughs> and I, I specifically cited The Father as one of the movies that I think continues to get better the further away from it we are. And as more and more people watch it, I have to absolutely second what Elliot said. This movie is just an incredible piece of art and an incredible testament to the power of film to depict a human experience and use every tool in a director and a crew's disposal to make that experience feel as real as possible for the audience. I mean, we saw this in theaters. This is my second time watching it. It upset me a lot <laughs> both times I watched it. And yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this movie and why it's not just the acting. It's not just the way the movie is structured, how everything in this film contributes to a viewing experience that honestly is kind of hard. It's very unique. I can't think of a lot of other movies like this, and I can't think of a lot of other movies that on such a simple premise, right, of a guy's last days in his flat before he's moved into a nursing home is essentially the premise. And then if you were to tell someone, yeah, it's one of the most like stressful and upsetting <laughs> movies I've ever seen. You're like, oh, that's weird. Why? And then you watch it and you're and you're just in a bad mood for the rest of the movie. <laughs> well, I don't you're not in a bad mood like you're angry. You're just yeah. sort of like, dude, my I'm gonna die. My my parents are gonna die. There's gonna be hard choices I'm gonna have to make. No, I'm so excited that you feel that way. <laughs> I thought we were gonna have another contentious episode. No, no, no. And I'm really excited to talk about this movie because this was also my second time seeing it. We both loved it the first time seeing it. I would absolutely have loved for it to take home Best Picture. I think that or Judas and the Black Messiah is what I was pulling for that year. No, Madeline, it's it's got its merits. <laughs> Um, but we're not here to talk about No Madeline. We're here to talk about the father. And I want to start with what you were talking about with with the tone of this movie, because I think that there was a real danger for this movie to come across as being very cold, very impersonal, almost sadistic in dis in portraying this very difficult situation. But the second candle has now died, everyone. Oh <laughs> we're down to one. But the thing that I just kept on coming back to on this rewatch was this is such a human story mm. that it's so... It is definitely sad and depressing, and but it's told through such a strangely tender and caring way. Like the the camera is so casts such a sympathetic eye on these characters, and their plight is so immediately recognizable to most of us. I mean, we have some experience with this kind of affliction. Uh, but a lot of people do. And I think that the, the, the yeah, the humanness and the, the tenderness and just the care that's being put into this really bleeds through in every shot of this movie. Yeah, I think the thing that really struck me watching it this time is how much Olivia Coleman is in the movie. She plays Anne, his daughter, or she plays... She's one of the two actresses who plays Anne at different moments in the movie. The daughter of uh, Anthony is the Anthony main character. Anthony is the, the father who is uh, aging. 
But it really struck me how much time is dedicated to Anne and very clearly communicating this horrible push and pull that she's experiencing where she wants to give her father as much care and concern and effort that she possibly can with just the bare facts that like she has a life that she needs to be living, that she has other things that she has to work. She has to make money. She has to do things. And I was just so amazed this time with how, like you were saying, how much of a humanist angle it was that, right, the final scene is so heart-wrenching because Anthony ends up in a nursing home and it's clear that he's very stressed by this. It's a very difficult experience for him. But I don't feel like the movie was trying to cast Anne in a negative light or make it seem like she was a terrible person for this. It was... I felt like the tone of the movie was more, this is something that humans have to go through and there's not like a perfect way to do it. Like there's no good way to do it. And so I thought just the amount of screen time that Anne got and just the way that it depicted, I love the reoccurring shot of early in the movie, there's a shot like through a door where, and it appears to be a dream sequence or something where she starts choking him. Oh Yeah. And there's just this sense where she's right. She's so frustrated and angry that he can't do the things she wants him to do and that he can't just be nicer to her and to the nurses that she keeps hiring to take care of him. And then the shot is repeated later on. But this time, like the literal exact same shot, and she even makes the same kind of hand gesture. And then it cuts to show that she's like caressing his head. She's tucking him in. And so just this push and pull of, you know, this is a person I love that I want the best for, but it's, you know, it's frustrating and it's so difficult. But again, like the movie, it, like you said, it's a very humanist take on this sort of situation. Mm -hmm. It definitely doesn't have any antagonist yeah. aside from dementia itself. Yes. And yeah, the, it, it's, it's sympathetic to all comers. Mm -hmm. um, and Olivia Coleman, I... Obviously, Anthony Hopkins is the mainline performer here, and we'll talk about him later. But I just want to shout out how much I was taken aback by Olivia Coleman's performance this time around. She, like everything you're saying, she's so torn between these conflicting interests that she has and the fact, the simple and tragic fact that her father is not the same person that he used to be, that he is presumably now a more rude more unfocused more forgetful person like in, there's a scene where she brings in a new nurse for him to meet named what's her name again laura, laura? yeah laura and anthony is like sort of goofing around and then on a dime he just becomes this really sarcastic sardonic person talking about like my daughter isn't very intelligent she's just trying to get my flat and there's a shot of olivia coleman and she just looks devastated and my heart was like in pieces at that shot because she captured and i don't know how i'm not a good actor like i i, I like acting but i'm not a good actor and i just don't understand how you can capture the conflict the tension between these two emotions that she manages to capture of like how could you say that? But also like, how could this be happening? How can this man who I've known my whole life and who's loved me my whole life, how could he have come to this point? I'm, my hair's standing up just thinking about it. 
Yeah. And I think, I mean, you know, since we're talking about acting, I think we should talk about the obvious star of the show. He won Best Actor. Somewhat controversially. Yes, very controversially, because he was nominated against Chadwick Boseman the same year that Chadwick Boseman died. And I do think Chadwick Boseman did a great job in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. But Anthony Hopkins, this is one of my favorite performances of all time. This is up there for me with, like... You know, Heath Ledger as the Joker or uh, James Stu- Jimmy Stewart in It's a Wonderful Life. Just... Or Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> okay, <sure. laughs> this is this is a stunning performance by him. And it's incredible to watch how fast he flips from like a very whimsical, jolly old man, almost a Santa-esque figure to cite the iconic jolly old man. <laughs> The jolly old the man. The jolly old man. To end all others. Yeah. And then he just flips a switch and suddenly he, like you said, just a very sarcastic, mean-spirited person. And I mean, he goes through so many different emotions where he's mean, he's scared, he's upset. By the end of the movie, right, he's just breaking down and bawling like a child. And it's just incredible. It's it's also hard to watch. It's a powerful performance. Absolutely. This is, I mean, there's there's really not much you can say. This is just a the performance of a lifetime. I absolutely love Chadwick Boseman. His loss was, was tragic. And I thought that he definitely deserved to win the Oscar for um, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which is a pretty good movie, also yeah. based on a play that you should also see. But if I had to say who I objectively thought gave the best performance that year... I would have to say Anthony Hopkins without too much hesitation. Um, And like, if you've spent any time, any amount of time around people who suffer from this affliction. So like I've done some charity work through 4-H in uh, nursing homes as Nathan has as well Uh, on a mission trip. I spent some time in a nursing home and Anthony Hopkins just nails that balance of, fear and of defiance and of anger uh because the the truly tragic thing here is that they don't really understand what they're doing or what's happening like they've lost the ability to process social and emotional cues like that and especially in the times when he's confused by something and then he just he pretends that he understands or that yeah. there's not a problem and that is so painfully true to life that many patients will do that like almost as a self-defense mechanism to to tell themselves like it isn't that bad i do understand this i do know what's going on but you can tell that they just don't and it is it's devastating and anthony hopkins portrays that perfectly yeah and this goes hand in hand with i think the If there's two things in my mind that make this movie really special, it's the performances and then it's the structure of the film. Yes. Which is to say, and again, it's hard to... The movie is trippy. It is trippy. Sometimes almost scary. Oh, yes. It becomes stressful because every time a scene is about to change, you don't know what else is about to change. The set seems to change almost arbitrarily. The actors can change from scene to scene. The timeline 
can change. I think Anne comes home with chicken like nine times yeah. during the movie. It's difficult to keep track of where you are. And I think all of this contributes to the sympathy towards Antony that because we are just as confused as him because we're kind of seeing the world like he did, right? That her husband was there. I thought Anne was divorced. Oh, her husband's gone now. I just saw, like, we just saw him 10 seconds ago. Mm -hmm. And there's more than a couple times where he replays scenes, like straight up replays scenes, but like from a slightly different angle. And then they start talking about the same thing. And it is such, it's such an incredible, like structural editing masterpiece of just all of these interlocking pieces that contribute to, yeah, it's stressful. It's way more stressful than you would expect. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that you pointed out the editing thing, because I actually watched a video about this movie yesterday that pointed out that usually a movie that wants to like pull the rug out from under you will sort of telegraph it with like maybe a pulled back establishing shot or maybe a shot looking at a doorway that you're expecting someone to walk through. But in this movie, it destabilizes your experience because anytime it, the movie, the camera like cuts to a new shot, something might've changed. Yes. Anytime the movie, anytime, basically anything that is not on screen at that exact moment is subject to change. And it contributes to the atmosphere of being like, what is going on? And it again, it's such a human tender idea to put yourself in these shoes of how afraid it must make him and how confused and how frustrated to be like, to be so detached from the things that we take so much for granted. We don't even consider them as aspects of our lives. Like, the linear progression of time or the yeah. stability of a person's appearance. Yeah. And it really, it reminds me of Inception, just in the way that both of these movies don't tell you, it doesn't hold your hand at all in terms of making sure that you know what's going on, right? That it can cut from scene to scene and then you have no idea where it is it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes from Christopher Nolan from his book where he says the most incredible special effect in movie history is an, is the cut. Because as soon as you cut the film, you can do anything. And this movie makes such incredible use of it that it's like, oh, cut. Oh, we changed the actor for the husband. You didn't expect that, did you? Right? The, we cut. Oh, now the set is completely different. Now we're in a different place. Mm -hmm. It's incredible, and it's. I I feel like if you went through this movie like frame by frame, you'd be able to see like the set changing in just innocuous ways that contribute to this sense of this is different. What on earth? Like the furniture feels like it's changing, and all of its stuff that I don't know if it did change or if the movie just made me so paranoid that by the end of it, I was like, was any of this? Yeah, I mean that's one of the things that really struck me about this movie again is that I had to keep on reminding myself to pay attention to like lighting and editing and cinematography. Cause I was just getting so engrossed in the drama and the characters, but that stuff absolutely contributes to this movie. This movie has an incredible visual language. I think even the first time I saw it, I pointed out or I observed that 
how many shots are framed by a doorway? And the idea to me, and maybe this is just me pretentiously extrapolating, <laughs> but the idea to me is that is to communicate this idea that Antony is sort of like looking into rooms from his past life from the outside. And of course, the frame like cuts out pretty much everything except what is directly visible through the frame. So it really clogs the foreground and all you can see, all Antony can see are just these glimpses of his life that are passing before him in an order that makes no sense, that is complete chaos. That is really pretentious, but well, I, I, do, <laughs> I do think there's a grain of truth in that. And I think there's also reoccurring motifs. I already mentioned that Anne comes home with chicken a lot, mm -hmm. but then there's also uh, a watch. Anthony has a watch that he's constantly losing. And again, it cuts from scene. A scene could end with him finding the watch and putting it on his wrist. And the next scene could still have someone say, oh, you're missing your watch. Like, I mean, and it's such a small thing because, and it's almost comical, right? That he has lines where he's like, if I don't have my watch, how will I know the time? And there's almost this question of like, know the time, right? You don't leave, like you're not in charge of, but it's just a tiny thing that he wants to be able to control and have under his ability to like see and be something tangible. Like I have my watch, I know the time, and yet he's constantly losing it. And so it's confusing to us, the viewer, because we, as well as to him, right? That he's like, I could have sworn I just got it back. How did I lose it again? Well, yeah, I mean, it's fixations. That is mm. a, a, what? A, a, a staple of this kind of affliction. I don't know if we want to keep this in because it's a little bit personal. But if you remember mom talking about grandpa the one time being certain that there had recently been a funeral or that like he was going to get arrested or something. And he just kept on bringing it up and bringing it up because it like the wheels of the brain just get stuck on these ideas. And another one that I noticed is Paris and his insistence that like, they don't speak English there. So how yes. could my daughter go to Paris? Yeah. Which I think is also sort of like a bit of psychological deflection from the more to him salient fact of how could my daughter leave me? This is a, a difficult... I was not happy when you told me this was the movie you picked for this week because I was having a really good week. <laughs> well, I was having a really bad week, so it, it balances out. Because um, this is a really... It's an upsetting movie, and I think it's certainly... I like what you said at the beginning, that it's sad, but it doesn't ever, in my opinion, feel like it's hitting you over the head with its sadness. There's a, another movie that I can think of that does a similar sort of thing, but it's my recommend my recommendation for today. Wow, so I'm not, spoiler. I'm not going to oh, mention okay. it now, but I will but mention it later. Put a pin in that. Yeah. We'll come back to it. We'll come back to it. I do think this movie, and it's hard because I can't pinpoint how, but I do think this movie does a good job of not making it just like the most miserable viewing experience of your life. I mean, you're not going to feel great, but it doesn't feel like it's relishing in human suffering or it's, and part of that is because it's not a particularly long movie. It's just over an hour and a half long, but it's also because I think it does have a good job of, I've landed on how I think the movie does ah. this. I think it sprinkles in enough moments of him being lucid and him being funny. And there's one moment that really stuck out to me when she comes home with chicken again 
and her husband's like, oh, Anthony's in his room and he's having trouble putting on his shirt. And he, she goes in and she helps him put on the shirt. And as she's leaving, he goes, hey, Anne, thank you for everything. And I was like, oh my good. Like, that's such a huge... And they just sprinkle throughout the film these moments of just, not just lucidness, but like happiness or at least a sense of like something okay is going to happen. I always think the ending of this movie is funny because it feels to me like, not funny, but like (laughs) funny in the sense of, I can imagine the screenwriters writing the end and being like, okay, what are we going to, like, how do we end this on kind of a happy note? It's like, I don't know, turn it towards a tree, bro. Like, we <laughs> Let's can, just do the tree <laughs> thing, man. Just pan away, pan away. Look away, look away. Yeah. It's what it kind of feels like. But I think the movie does a good job of sprinkling in these moments where it is kind of happy, not happy, but there's just a sense of like, this is, not the worst thing in the entire universe. And there's moments of kind of humanity in, in it. Yeah. And those are, t- those are the moments that someone like Anne, a caretaker would hold on to every day. Those are the types of moments that would get her through the moments when she's thinking of strangling her father. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. It's a very quiet tragedy and it's, it strikes that perfect balance of it's not so removed that, that it feels cold and impersonal, but it's also not like, histrionic it's not hysterical it's it's in the middle of it's just this very quiet human tragedy like there's no one to blame no one's at fault no one's doing anything maliciously i mean the the husband is kind of doing that's true and there is an implication that anthony might be being abused in his nursing home because one of the people who substitutes for the husband is someone who we later learn is a worker at that home and he slaps Anthony a few times. That But again, it's hard to, yeah. it's hard to say cuz right, he shows up with the husband before he's ostensibly in the nursing home and yeah, it's hard to tell what in the movie is necessarily real and necessarily fake. But see, I think that even the husband if we take that as real, I I absolutely do not get a sense of maliciousness from him. I get a sense of very real human frustration of feeling bad for Anne and of trying to navigate a difficult situation, maybe in a way that's more aggressive or more inconsiderate than it could be. But that's like, that's one of the most human flaws, human follies there is. I'm assuming you're not talking about him hitting him. Well, obviously, that is yeah. completely oh. unacceptable. Okay. <laughs> I was just making sure. The whole time you were talking, I was like, Elliot better not be out here advocating hitting the elder, elder abuse. abuse. Yeah. No, but yeah. we here at Jones at the movies do not support elder abuse. We condone that, yeah. that stuff. But I agree, yeah, that he, right, he's the husband of Anne, so he obviously hasn't known Anthony as long as her. He doesn't have as much of an emotional connection to him. And so the scenes where he's, being very frustrated and talking very frankly and, you know, kind of in a rude, mean manner, it comes from a very human place that it's like, yeah, that's, that's really frustrating. And if you don't have as much right love for the person who's going through this thing, you would certainly, you know, it would be understandable if you're like, can we just put him in a home? Why do we have to have him Mm -hmm. in our house, clogging up the works, you know, causing all these issues? Well, I mean, this movie is a masterclass in showing and not telling. Like, we've talked about the visual language and about how the set is constantly changing. Like, the kitchen is different from shot to shot. The paint scheme, the decorations, the furniture layout, it's all changing. But also, 
it's there in just like the strained smiles that Anne will give her father when he's being confused or like just a brief shot of the doctor noting what Antony is confused about. Yeah. That there, it's these moments that the movie isn't like announcing them with a lot of fanfare or like a really long lingering shot or a, a, a knowing line from, from a character. It's just like, it puts us in that situation and because we're humans with empathy, presumably, yeah. <laughs> we understand what's happening there. So yeah, that I, I can't praise enough this movie's script or its direction or its cinematography or its set design. This is pretty much the end of my sort of pauses. Are there any, ne- you've talked very highly of this film, are there any negatives for you? Honestly, Nothing that matters at all in the face of what this movie gets right. Like there are some times, sometimes when Antony is confused about something, people will react in a way like they don't understand that this man has dementia. Like they'll be really confused that he's confused about something. And I'm like, why, why is this a shock? Like at the very end, when he, he's like, the ending is so hard to watch because he's essentially regressed to childhood. Like he's asking for his mother he wants his mommy to come and get him. But when he's asking the nurse, like, what's going on? Where am I? Where am I? Where's my daughter? She's like not reacting. <laughs> she's, she's reacting like, what are you talking about? You're acting like you have dementia, man. Yeah. But the thing is, who cares? Because this movie's amazing. Yeah. Well, not neither of us are nurses. So I have no idea how nurses are actually trained to handle uh, patients being confused about things. So maybe that is, maybe you are not supposed to like highlight their confusion or try to solve it. Maybe you are just supposed to kind of glide around it. But sure. I don't know. Again, we don't, we're not trained professionals. We don't. Know yeah. <laughs> don't, don't, don't use this to guide you on your first day of nursing. Yeah. I feel kind of, I mean, there's a few, there, the whole Lucy, there's a, not mm. a subplot, but there's kind of a recurring idea of, Anne has a sister who died in a car accident. And I guess you could argue it doesn't go anywhere. They, it kind of culminates in a dream sequence where he sees her in the hospital. But it feels more to me like, right, he's unable to kind of put together what happened to his other daughter. And so it keeps coming up. And then this final dream is, right, he's not experiencing time linearly. He has a moment where he remembers, oh, yeah she died. Like I saw her in the hospital after she was in a car accident. Mm -hmm. There is that lingering shot of the visiting room, which presumably he saw a lot of when he was at the hospital. Yeah. So to me, it feels like the only real legitimate negative is just that this movie is a difficult watch. And so it's not going to be for everyone. Yeah. And it's not a movie that, you know, if you're sitting down with your girlfriend and Hey, let's, Flip on a well, flip on a film. I mean, if you guys have some, if you guys are like really close <laughs> and you, you, you want to experience art together, yeah, you're both film nerds. Yeah. Otherwise, I really don't. There's not a lot of legitimate negatives. Well, another thing that I want to talk about positively is the music. Mm. Uh, very little of it. Most of it is diegetic, but there is a musical cue for when Antony finds something particularly alarming. That's just these almost spidery, shining-esque violin, violins, violins. I wish I could, like, play them for the audience, but they're, like most of this movie, they're they're just perfectly calibrated. Yeah. Like, they, every time they showed up, 
it just it was just that extra punch in the gut to know that like not only is this bad thing happening but Anthony is starting to get upset and he's starting to lose himself and these moments are starting to like bleed outside of the boundaries that they're supposed to be in it's yeah it's really good props to the composer it's one of the instances of obviously i wouldn't listen to it casually because it's just a few violins but it's an example of a movie soundtrack appreciably benefiting what's happening on screen all right well let's let's get to ratings then uh i feel like it shouldn't be too much of a surprise i love this movie i really do feel like this is one of those movies that is fully making use of the cinematic form, the cinematic art form that, like we've already said, right? It's using the music, the editing, the set design, the acting. It's using the script in such an incredible way that's so unlike other movies. It feels bad that I'm not about to give this a perfect score just because it is a really sad movie and... I don't always want to watch it necessarily because it is very difficult to watch. But this is a fantastic film. I'm going to give it, I think, like a a 9.7 out of 10. Yeah, I mean, we've spent 38 minutes basically just gushing about this movie. And I would would say that I seriously consider this movie to be a work of art, Um, a work of cinematic art uh, in pretty much every category. I was... So pleased that it held up every bit uh, on rewatch. And uh, I love being sad, so I'm going to give this movie an A+. Wow. Interesting. All right. Well, then let's get into some recommendations. Mm -hmm. I can go first. Like I said. Let's all remember what Nathan said earlier. Get out your notebooks. My recommendation is Room from 20, I think, 13, maybe 2014. This is another movie that is very sad. It has another one of my favorite performances of all time in Brie Larson in this movie. And I think this is another movie that is about an incredibly difficult, awful topic of a girl who was kidnapped and then, you know, abused and raped for some period of time. And she had a kid while she was in captivity. And the movie does such an incredible job of depicting all of the little pieces that would come with having this sort of thing done to you of what it would do to a person. And just like this movie, I think the framing of it, that it's told from the perspective of her child instead of from her perspective, me keeps it from being just, just an incredible, just oppressive. Yeah. Just an oppressively dark, look at human suffering. Instead, we kind of have this child version where he doesn't really understand what's happening or what's going on or why his mom is feeling the things she's feeling. But this movie is incredible. It's incredible for, in my opinion, a lot of the same things that make the father incredible, that it's making use of all of these different tools to put us in the shoes of just a horrible human um, experience. But it is so good. If you want to be sad for months, watch this and The Father. Otherwise, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd say, yeah, space amount of it. <laughs> the first time I watched this movie, I watched it with Lydia, and we rented the Peanuts movie to watch right after. Because we were like, this is going to bum us out. So we're going to need to laugh afterwards. Yeah, I'm not sure even the Peanuts movie's inherent charm could <laughs> break through the... the the pall 
of Room. Uh, I second that recommendation. I think that's a great movie. Also a very tender, human look at what could easily have become exploitative, even, or sadistic, or something like that. Uh, Basically something more like David Fincher would do. I, I say that only out of love, Fincher, but I'm glad you I don't, did not direct Room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I agree with that. He's good at what he does. He can't do this. Yeah. Um, so my recommendation is Locke, which is kind of, I'm not sure if it's an indie film or not. It's a definitely a lesser known film. It's set exclusively in a car. It follows the main character, Locke, played by Tom Hardy, driving from his workplace to uh, be with a woman who he had an affair with and is now giving birth. And so basically the movie follows him doing through a bunch of phone calls, trying to deal with the fallout that this is all caused to his work life, to his personal life, um, to what, how he views himself. And I chose it because like the father, it's a very human story of a man who made a mistake and is like absolutely trying to own up to that mistake, but in so doing is kind of making a lot of other mistakes. But yeah, it's a human story of somebody trying to do the best he can in subpar circumstances of his own creation, but trying making a legitimate effort to um, to make it right or to own up to it. Um, Tom Hardy does a great job. It's got an early Tom Holland performance uh, at who plays his son. Tom Hardy is the only person you see because, of course, all these other things are happening over phone calls. But all the performances are really good. The guy who played Moriarty on in Sherlock is on there. Andrew is, Scott? Yeah. He he plays a co-worker of Locke's. Um, yeah, it's really good. Great acting. Great story. Nathan pretends to think that it's a terrible movie even though he hasn't seen it. So I, I don't know what that's about. Explain yourself. Yeah, you've just recommended it a lot, and I think it sounds stupid, so it, I'm not going to watch it. It's ex- it's definitely experimental, but I think it works. Uh, experimental. What, I mean, it's a, it's in the genre of movies set in one place, like 12 Angry Men or other movies I can't think of. Yeah. I don't know. What's a movie that takes place in one place? In one location? One location, yeah. I don't know. I can't think of 12 Angry Men is one. Okay, whatever. Uh, the point is that life is hard and full of disappointments. Yeah, embarrassing for us that we can't come up with more. We'll think more, of something and then we'll edit examples. it in here. Um, I can think of movies that are set in one place and like uh, they're all set in New York. Okay, that obviously doesn't count. <laughs> but yeah, just to reiterate, life is hard and full of disappointments. Yeah, wanna yeah, make sure, yeah. I just want to make sure, sure everyone hears sure, sure. Um, these movies attest to that. But they also have some things about like Hope sometimes people are also happy. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes your decaying father says something funny. And, you know, take the bad with the good. All right. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode. Thanks for, you know, supporting the podcast. Be sure to check out the blog. It's it's kind of blowing up right now. So that's, that's another one of those things you're going to want to get in on the ground floor so you can say you were there when we're so famous in two years. <laughs> yep. Everyone, everyone comment you were there or I was here. I was here. Yeah, Uh, we'll be back next week with another new movie review. So we'll see you then. Hopefully one that's a bit more cheerful. Yeah, we'll see.